0: do the best that you have with what I've given you and we'll continue to grow in this thing. It's just wild, all that sort of stuff. And so the measures of grace that we give out um, is kind of the language that we use. So what is the measure of grace that we want to give out to somebody in their growth and their, their spiritual journey?
1: Well, Hey Jimmy, thanks for jumping on the podcast with us, man. I'm super excited to dive into such a, important topic, getting students involved. And uh, right now, as everyone's kind of relaunching um, after COVID or even during COVID, it's, this is a really great time to really dive into student leaders, student involvement. So I'm really excited about jumping to this topic. So Jimmy, hey man, thanks for jumping on.
0: Hey, I'm excited that we
1: got to connect and
0: that we get the opportunity to do this today and to help out. You know what I mean? Let's use what God's given us to help other people out. Let's do it.
1: Absolutely, man. Hey, so you've been in ministry for a little while. You've had a few different roles. So tell us a little bit about your ministry journey and how you got to where you're at, and then even just kind of the the seat that you're in right now.
0: Yeah. Here's what I love about my journey is, uh, so I graduated from Bible College in 2007, got my first full-time youth pastor job. I had helped out at other places or whatever, uh, 2007 to 2009 in my home state, Pennsylvania. And uh, and the reason I tell you that specific part of it is because I actually ended up getting fired from that job. Um, my first youth pastor job got fired from it. Um, and don't immediately assume the worst, okay? I didn't do crazy. <laughs> uh, I was just at a super church uh, that I would call uh, super charismatic. Um, and I'm more of a charismatic with a seatbelt on, so. Uh, the visions just didn't line up and so rightfully so i was confused in the moment pretty angry and young and whatever i was like why are you doing this or whatever Uh, but now i look back on that it's one of the best things that ever happened to me um because instead of like quitting ministry it really made me double down on like why i'm in ministry in the first place um and so where i'm at now um still a youth pastor over a decade later um I'm, i'm a next gen pastor as well in beaumont texas which is just outside of houston towards louisiana um i say just outside it's like an hour of cows between us and houston, so. <laughs> i can't claim houston at all except for like a date night but
1: i have to say in texas time that's about it's just outside
0: absolutely absolutely and uh so yeah we're in texas now and uh still a youth pastor um and i actually get to lead another youth pastor on my staff um, as well as I lead the young adult pastor and the kids pastor, and then all the directors and interns and staff on the Next Gen team. So, um, yeah, I mean that's kind of where I'm at now, and it's just like amazing to see like all of what God's blessed us with now. Um, yeah, I got fired from my first minister job, so I think that's a pretty good summary of that God's faithfulness in the middle of my bung- bungling it up.
1: I love it. I love it. So. Uh, Okay, so we're in kind of the for a lot of us the tail end of this pandemic right but some are kind of still in it a little bit more and so this isn't your first time so you've led through a national or natural disaster that leveled uh, big portions of your city, and you had to help rebuild in your youth ministry and your church was dramatically changed. So what were some lessons that you learned through that process that maybe helped you uh in this season of COVID?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So we are, if you ever heard of Hurricane Harvey 2017 that like directly hit Beaumont, Texas. And so that actually hit it twice. So we had a hurricane for three days that flooded. Um flooded so bad that we lost water, lost power. And actually in our city, Um, state of emergency because everything was flooded around us then we lost water lost power so nobody could get to us um all the highways were just the highways were literally like lakes it was the craziest thing um and then the hurricane went back out to sea and then came back and sat over us for another three days so we're talking like flooding um Emergency, like, I literally watched National Guard helicopters. I watched them lower their little guy in the basket, pull up people off of their roofs, and my house didn't flood, Um, but I'm just, like, watching this happen all around me. Um, And so here in Beaumont, um, I think they say, like, 40% of our city flooded, which is a huge number, huge number. Um, Entire areas of our city just gone, Um, you know, from four feet of water to eight feet of water in a home. So just destruction, like absolute devastation. And, and the thing that was wild for us is my pastor was basically like, we have a new job description for the next three months. We are, we are going to go help our people. Um, our church flooded as well. We have four and a half feet of water. So if you kind of picture your main auditorium, our stages aren't four and a half feet high. So it like flooded all the equipment, like everything, like so honestly, it was wild. Like honestly, it was wild. Um, hard to explain. Life changing. You go through something like that, but literally every single day, we're in someone else's house, and what you do is you tear out all the sheetrock, tear out all the insulation, get it down to studs, take all of their possessions, put it on the curb, um, and I have a weak stomach. So that water and so it it flooded for three days. Then there's like a day and a half gap and then it flooded for another three days. And then for five days it sat there before the waters receded. Um, so by the time you got into these homes, it was just disgusting, like moldy, disgusting, like sewer water, like like uh, there was like a million cars that got flooded here in Houston. And so it just smelled, it was so bad. And I have a weak stomach. So literally every single day of my life for like two and a half, three months, I was just yeah. vomiting in the, front, in the front yards of these houses as I'm trying to like, they call it mucking out a house and um and then just grown men who didn't have insurance and would just cry on my shoulder as I prayed with them um as they're like how am I going to rebuild what are we going to do um and then you're just driving through neighborhoods that just everything's devastated and just so um it was wild right so all that to paint the picture up it was wild the what it's like to lead through something like that, that like we walked away from is like um, just what it means to be a local church. Um, It's just, you are able to meet the needs of your people in an instance Um, to where, you know, we live in an age to where everyone loves to watch stuff online and kind of watch other pastors and do that sort of thing. But like, um, you, you know, we were just a local church and we had our people, God supplied the need and we were able to meet the needs of our people in a tangible way. Um, and the bonds that you form over something like that, you, it was a week. I ended up coming out of this thing and saying, step into someone else's mess. Cause that's literally what I was doing every day, stepping into their mess. You know, Jesus, God stepped into our mess in the form of Jesus, right? Heaven to earth and just kind of being like, so step into each other's mess because Jesus stepped into our mess, meet tangible needs so that you could talk about spiritual needs and all that sort of stuff. And, and it really was one of those things where I was like, what does it mean to be a neighbor? What does it literally mean to be a neighbor? And we are so disconnected as a society. It really, for me, was just like, I want to always be readily available to like help out a neighbor, help out somebody in my community, and to be a local church. I think the power of a local church is the fact that it's local. And that was huge for us as far as the way that we've pastored in the last couple of years. And even in COVID now, we had another tropical storm in, I think, 2019 it's just like, we're ready to be a local church. We're ready to have the system systems in place and be a local church. And, um, yeah, but it was wild, man. It was wild.
1: So good. So when you got there, um, you said about probably about 30 students or so just kind of attending, um, it's kind of showing up kind of your typical youth ministry, kind of youth pastor led that kind of thing. And fast forward now, obviously before COVID, but, things are uh, still pretty strong right now. Um, Over 450 students showing up, but not just showing up, running the youth ministry. And uh, much more than just what you typically think of as student leaders that kind of stack chairs or set up the volleyball net, but you're saying are actively running the youth ministry and you as pastors are kind of shepherding and guiding that process. So take us back. You know, you're showing up, there's 30 students just kind of showing up and now you're here. They're running it, over 400 students, multiple staff members, interns, all that kind of stuff. Talk us through that journey. Yeah. What does it look like? And for the youth pastor listening, the pastor listening right now, what can they learn? What can they apply to their own situation?
0: Yeah, so good. I mean, honestly, for me, it was just like a radical approach to two scriptures. Uh, you have Paul talking to Timothy, which is like, youth groups love to use it, even though it's technically talking to Timothy, (laughs) who was like in his thirties, but it's, you know, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in love, life, faith, speech and purity, 1 Timothy 4.12. That radical approach of being like, well, young believers can set the example. And then a radical approach to Ephesians 4.12 or Ephesians four around there, just the four twelves matched up and it was real nice. which is pastors are there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Right. Um, and when the whole thing is working together, the whole thing grows. And so it's like my job as a youth pastor, and that's what I kind of learned early on in youth ministry. And when I got to this church in Texas, it was like, what if I just radically believed the Bible and believed what I read in scripture and said, um, I want to do what the Bible says to do. Um, I want to do what the scripture saying to do. So um, I'm going to believe in young people. And I'm going to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So I'm not a youth pastor that does youth ministry. I equip youth to do ministry. And that was just like, what would that look like? Let's start dreaming, right? And so literally, I tell the story all the time because I use it in every one of like when we're interviewing an adult who wants to help out in youth ministry. I use the story every single time, which is a true story. First leadership meeting, we're in like your old school youth room upstairs. It's dark. It was like an outdoor Italian cabana cafe, but you're indoors. So it was really cool because that's what you did in the nineties. Right. And that had like this cafe and all those sorts of whatever stuff And it. It barely sat 80, 80 youth or whatever. Um, You know, sitting up there with the leaders meeting, there happened to be 11 leaders. There was 33 youth, but 11 adult leaders, which I was like, that's wild. That's unheard of. But they were bought in and they wanted to be a part of this new youth pastor that was coming in. And I kind of started the whole thing off, and I was just like, "Look, I in Pennsylvania, I grew a youth ministry to 100 youth, and then in and then in Philadelphia, I grew a youth ministry to 200 youth. And you know, I I guarantee you, this is the summer of 2013. I was like, I guarantee you, by Christmas we'll be 85 youth. I guarantee it because God's gifted me, and I'm I can connect to teenagers. It's a gift that God's given me. And, I, and initially, they were like 85 youth. That's amazing, and like really kind of getting excited about that. But then they were like, this dude's really prideful, like what's happening right now? Like, cause it was very, But I was trying to do is be that like caricature of like, what would this look like if it was all about Jimmy Banks, right? I was like, and I w- I'll be up there preaching every week and I'll go to all the students games and I we will do this. Then we'll get to 80 youth, blah, blah, blah. And I paused, let that sink in for a second. And uh, I said, but that's all we'll ever be. We'll never go past 80 youth because that's all I can do by myself. Um, but we can reach this city if it starts with you 10 you 11 and if each of you maybe invest your life into like 11 teenagers 11 youth we could be 110 by christmas right um and then my job is to not make it all about me but to like equip you to do the work of the ministry and i'm talking to adult leaders here and to say you invest in 10 youth and believe in 10 youth um and then i'll just keep adding adults to the team so if If I want a youth group of 150, I better have 15 adult leaders who want to invest their life into 10 youth, who don't want to just play police or want to hand out pizza. I've got to find the right people in our church who want to believe in and do life with and go to the games of 10 youth. And that's my job. Stay ahead of the curve as this thing grows, because I want to be faithful with the growth. I didn't want to have a big event where 300 youth showed up and I have 10 leaders why would God bless something? And I just kind of just the way I think, right? It's just like, but if I had 30 leaders and there's a foundation for those 300 that show up to my event and we can actually disciple them, I'm all in. That has momentum, not a moment, but also momentum. So I cast that vision and I said, but here's the other thing I'm going to do. Um, we don't need you to lead worship anymore. We don't, we don't need you to greet. We don't, we don't need you to run the cafe. We're going to equip teenagers to do that stuff we don't even need you to team lead anymore because we're going to get teenagers to team lead. We're going to get them to lead the worship. And we'll have coaches, right? We'll, We'll add some coaches to kind of make sure they're doing the right thing. All I want you to do, you have one job description, lead 10 youth, be the pastor of 10 youth, go to their games, know their story, know their family, connect with their parent. That's all I need you to do. And I will go equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I will build it from the teenager up. And that's what we began to work with. Started identifying a few, uh, teenagers i was just like hey uh you know i wait this one guy matt he was a senior played on the soccer team i was like all right you're in charge of first impressions he was like what and i was like you got to do it yourself until you find other teenagers to help you out so just go do it and if you're tired of doing it by yourself ask someone else to do it with you but if i'm not going to go recruit him i need you to do it because you're the senior in the youth group go do it man and that was just kind of like that just kind of happened over and over again. And then it was just like, OK, well, we only we have a greeter team and a first impression. We have a greeter team and then we have a guest team and now we have a merch and cafe team and all this sort of stuff. And and then I think year two, it was like um, we started having like because obviously you got to start off with like it was mostly adults in the band with like a, the one teenager who can play drums. And then for those of you who know that like the bass is the easiest instrument to throw with a junior high boy up on. Right. Uh, you know, you get the kid on the base or whatever. And it's just, it was a wild belief and cast that vision to my pastor and said, look, I don't want this thing to blow up right now. Cause if it blows up, it'll blow up on me. I need you to give me like the first year that I'm here at the church to build a base of leaders. And if I build a base of leaders, then the whole thing will grow. I need, to, I need to really highly invest in like the the youth that are coming right now, teach them what it means to be there. Because once you get that ball rolling, I mean, that thing just goes from there. Um, and I think the other huge thing was, I think a year and a half in, we started an internship, which was in Texas, they allow you to let youth co-op. So instead of them going to work at McDonald's or Chick-fil-A, um, nothing against the Lord's chicken. But they actually get credit to come work at the church, even though it's volunteer. And so I was like, dude, if I can talk some high school seniors into coming and being an intern, um, they get out of school at like one o'clock. So they, they're here by one thirty. So on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they're here for three to four hours, raise them up as team leaders, kind of really invest in them, our highest influencers, their seniors. They carry the most maturity, they carry the most intern and they have the most availability. So we kind of launched that, which has been, huge in the process of building a student leadership team because the classic idea of a student leadership team is to have like a whole team. And if you want to sign up and I was just like, what if we are a ministry of student leaders and I just have these interns are they in charge. Everybody's a leader. They're just the lead leaders. You know what I mean? They're just the leaders of leaders type thing. Um, so we don't have like an organized student leadership team this is your youth ministry. You are all leaders in this thing, and our interns are our primary influencers in that way. We raise them up to be the leader of the leaders, and so, um, and, and and so now we we started that in twenty fourteen. We're on so every year there's probably like five, six, seven, eight, depending on the year, interns that are seniors. And now we do like an intern reunion every year where we, you know, we get them all together and it's just amazing. They all tell stories of how God's worked. And that first class of interns was like, we were just praying for like a hundred. And now our current class of interns is like, what in the world do we do with 450? You know what I mean? Like, it's just amazing to see those guys interact. We've had um, we've had 41 interns over seven years um in that sort of a way. Um but each year they raise up a team, they raise up their next team leader, they're the main recruiters for the next internship. Um, every, you know, It's kind of this whole thing of like, they're the leaders of the leaders. And so where we're at now, and there's a lot of like in the middle there, and you can kind of may ask if you want know some details, but where we're at now, um, we have fully run youth teams. And It was, how do we, you know, early on, it was more, if you look at an algorithm of like, it was like the adults are there to make the thing happen with the goal of let's hand this over to teenagers. And over, over seven years, it's gone to the place of where like, we literally just have an adult coach and the whole thing's run by teenagers. Um, and that ratio had to keep, so if it was like, it took four adults to run worship with three youth, it was like, I want one adult on the stage because we always should have a coach. And I want the rest of them, I want the other six to be you. That's the goal here, but let's get there. Let's figure out how to get there and let's pray and let's work towards that. Let's get everybody on board. Let's get the staff on board, get the belief on board. Um, and yeah, so our student leadership where that looks right, like right now, Mindy, she's a senior at Silsby. She's in our internship program. She leads the uh, the cafe merch team. Um, and she has a team of, uh, I, I was looking on planning center earlier what the numbers were because it's COVID right now, but. I mean, every week she's got four or five youth running merch, running cafe. Sage, he's a homeschool senior. Those are the best. Home, those are the best seniors because they got all the time in the world, right? Uh, but he plays high school basketball. He's a great guy. He runs our uh, guest to family team. So it's the guest team, first time guests, runs that whole team every week. He's got three different people there. He's got an A team and a B team, and they they're empowered to run their 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 ministries, right? So if Services at 645. That's when we start that at 545. Sage is leading a leadership meeting with his team that night. And we we raise them up. We show them how to do that. How do you celebrate the win? What gets celebrated gets replicated. How do you honor somebody, speak life into your team for being there that night? Share a scripture, connect them to the vision of why we're doing what we're doing, and make sure if they have any questions, let them ask the questions. It's a standing meeting. It's a it's a huddle. It's like, let's get crazy, let's get going. And those guys are leading those meetings and then they build up team leaders. So it's like find a junior or a sophomore to be your team leader of the B team and then train him on how to lead that meeting. And it's like I said, it's a radical approach to just say like, look, I'll sacrifice a little bit of excellence for a whole lot of opportunity. And I know that I could do it better, but it would be limited. But if I just allow them to do it, it's limitless. It just honestly is. And so, um, you know, we have a vocal team leader. We have a band team leader, you know, Luke and Gracie. Um, and so there's like real things that are really happening and that sort of stuff. And so it truly is like it's a full band. It's a full production team running the cameras and, um, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. Not the sound. Sound has always got to be an adult. But I guess we could get a teenager or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, does that, does
1: that do well in communicating uh, that growth? Yeah, yeah. So talk about that. Okay, so... The big question is quality, excellence, all that. So how do you know when to hand it off so you don't lose or are you, how much quality are you willing to lose? How How is that like the, the handoff, but the quality, the excellence, how are you yeah. navigating, managing that tension there? And what are you looking for? Mm
0: hmm. That isn't, honestly, that is the key. Like, that's a huge question. Um, and that's where it goes back to those coaches, right? So we have small group leaders who run the small groups. So that's an adult role. But then we also have a coach role to where it's like, who is coaching the team leader? Um, who is making sure that you know this thing is actually working in the right way? And so that's where we're at now with coaches. But again, to get to where we're at, it was all ratios. So it was, like right now we will have adults do it because i'm not just going to be like do it i'm not going to dump right there's a difference between dumping it on somebody and delegating it to somebody delegating says i want you to do it but i'm going to help you do it dumping says i want you to do it and i'm out so to delegate something is to to be wise about the ratios of getting somewhere but also have the vision of saying i want to get there um and so a lot of it was a lot of hands-on stuff way early on suit like running all the teams being there with the team leader, you know, it was a lot of adults running it at the beginning, but with the intent of saying, hey, you've got to raise up a teenager to do it and you got to coach them like because a coach is there to tell them how to do it, tell them how to do it better after they do it. You know what I mean? That's huge. Um, and just really operating in that coach role of like getting excited to do it, making sure they know how to do it. And then when they do it, come on our own side of them being like, hey, here's how you can do it better. Um, but truly investing and loving in that person. So I hope that makes sense, but really it is in that power of that ratio of saying, hey, if we're eventually gonna get there, we need to eventually get there. So if right now with the greeting team is three adults and no youth, get it three adults and one youth, and then start believing in that youth and saying, hey, you get to get another one, Look, we'll eventually phase this out to where it's all youth with one adult to eventually get there. Um, you just gotta make sure you keep that in front of them. And get coaches who are willing to do that and not just do everything themselves, but to say when the whole body works together, Ephesians 4, the whole thing grows, right? When each part is working properly, the whole part grows and to be like, um, I guess on the excellence side of it, that is, that is a detail on the more skilled things. That's where it's like a huge role was to like really talk to our church about this, of being like, um, I remember when this all worked great for all of these other teams, but when it came to like worship, you know what I mean? That's such a skilled thing. I I am so terrible about anything skilled worship music. Like I am terrible. Like when I sing, they're like, take the mic off your mouth, bro. You're not Stephen Furtick. Like don't try to sing and preach or whatever. Uh, (laughs) So uh, that really was getting buy-in from our pastor and our worship pastor being like, so you're the worship pastor of the church. um, So does that mean like just the adults or does that mean like of the church? So if you're the worship expert here, why 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 am I trying to learn worship for the youth and the children? Maybe the worship pastor was the expert on worship, and how do you raise up worshipers in our church? How do you raise up musicians? How do you identify that? Because I can't identify that. I got, as much as I'm gonna try, it's not gonna work. So what would it look like for our church to resource raising up young musicians raising up young worshipers you know what what does worship look like for a child what does worship look like for a junior higher for a a youth and a young adult type stuff and so that was another huge part of that was getting the worship department on board and uh and originally they hired like a former band member, like he was a former band teacher he came on part-time and his whole job was to identify young musicians and to raise them up in our church And it's been a great benefit to our church now because, I mean, literally this past Sunday, main stage, there was a 10th grade drummer and an 11th grade lead guitarist. Because they have grown up in a church to where they've been playing music since junior high because our our church holistically has looked at it and said, um, how do we equip the saints? How do we believe in young people? And it's not just do your job, but like, who are you training? Who are you equipping? Who are you building up? and, And that sort of stuff. So I hope that helps. But. Yeah, so you got to start somewhere and just start with ratios. And we look at it being like, hey, all of y'all try to hand this off to a youth. Don't dump it on them, delegate them, show them how to do it, coach them up beforehand, afterhand, and, uh, and believe in them.
1: Yeah. So there's kind of when we talk about like student involvement, student leadership, I feel like there's kind of two philosophies or strategies. One is set this huge giant expectation of character and integrity and Bible reading and prayer and, you know, involvement. There's like that. And then there's the other side of it, which is like, Hey, get everybody involved and and like, let them in, and let the leadership kind of disciple them. And Hey, we're going to coach them through their mistakes and we're going to coach them through those moments of, you know, where they make the bad choice. So do you, I, I don't know where do you kind of land on that? Have you tried one or the other? You know, I'm sure you've seen that. So where do you kind of land yeah. in this model? Because like you've got a ton of leaders, ton of students involved. So where do you kind of see that? Yeah.
0: So good. That that's honestly um very pastoral, right? Very pastoral thinking as far as like um, you know, you never want anyone's influence to be greater than their character. As far as like, um, but in the balance of they're so young and they're still trying to figure themselves out in that sort of a way. Um, so that is, that's a huge deal. So what we're very, like our church is very, um, gracious with us in this process. We had to learn the hard way sometimes. Um, and that's just, and that's what I love about God's grace towards us. Sorry, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm, I know everyone knows this. I'm talking to a bunch of pastors and leaders. The grace towards us is to say, you don't have to be perfect at what you're doing, but you got to want to keep growing in in your connection to God and to say, uh, you know what I mean? Like, how's God using this to help you grow? And that's what grace is. Cause I mean, even now I've been preaching for over a decade. Like, am I ever actually truly communicating the gospel in its most authentic way? Or is there still a measure of grace afforded to me to say, do the best that you have with what I've given you and we'll continue to grow in this thing. And it's just wild, all that sort of stuff. And so the measures of grace that we give out, um, is kind of the language that we use. So what is the measure of grace that we want to give out to somebody in their growth and their, their spiritual journey, because it is about their growth. And that has to be key, it has to be key. This serving position, this leadership position is a means of their growth. So, you know, Obviously, your services are a means of growth. Your small groups are a means of growth, and your serving position is your means of growth. Serving is not what can we the church get from somebody. Serving is when the whole thing is together. When the whole thing is working properly, the whole thing grows. Right? When each part is working properly, the whole thing grows. And so, serving is about um, growing. Right? So it's about personal growth. It's about church growth. If the church is missing out on something, if I'm not serving because I'm a part of this church, and so it's not just So so that's where it's like, this whole thing has to be about growth. The whole thing has to have that coach's mentality of being like, dude, you're not going to run the play perfectly, but you're going to grow. So I would say I absolutely am on that side of saying, hey, man, everybody should be serving. There should be a space for everybody to serve. But what is the measure of grace that we're going to be willing to give somebody? We have identified um, leaders, influence positions. Influence positions are stage, mic, team leaders. So if you're on stage, if you're on a mic, or you're a team leader, um, there absolutely is a higher expectation of character than just being on a team. So anybody can be on a team. You can believe whatever in the world you want to believe to be on a team, to be behind the camera, to greet, to do whatever. Hey, get on the team. And it's the team leader to know that spiritual growth of that person because, again, they're doing their meetings. They're praying with their group. They're talking with their group. They're, you know. Uh, there's so many details to share, but they literally are even like once a month, they're supposed to be taking their team to go do something. Somebody in your, your team has a awesome home, do a house party with your team. You know what I mean? Like, so it truly is growth. That's the goal of serving. Um, and we've had to, we've had to hold people accountable for, you know, you were a team leader, you were on stage and we saw you do this crazy thing and, uh, You know, they go through a restoration process and we say, when you mess up, we bring you closer instead of pushing you away. Um, But we're gonna take take your influence away from you for a little bit because we have to put you in a place of saying um, that sort of stuff. So for us, I think to answer that question, kind of to summarize everything I just said, we look at serving as opportunities to grow. And then what's the measure of grace that we're willing to give somebody according to the influence that they're gonna have. And that's why having seniors for that internship I mean, that's application. They've got to tell their testimony. They've got to be like a solid Christian to be an intern um, because that's the highest level of influence. So if you have a high level of influence, then our measure of grace towards that is is going to be different than like entry-level levels. But we do have a place for everybody to serve because everybody is a leader, just a matter of who are you leading and what's the influence that we're willing to give you. And we want that character to be in that space of that We'll go back to that ratio thing, right? That algorithm, of that sort of stuff. So does
1: that makes sense. Coach, too yeah. So the coaches' role. Let's talk about how those coaches have molded, shaped their involvement. Obviously, when you first got there, that first meeting, they're pretty much running everything. They're setting up, running, tearing down, coaching, all kind of stuff. So talk about that progression on the adult side, going from that first meeting all the way now to where. They're much more of a support role, much more of an accountability role. It sounds like to me. So dive in, get into the weeds a little bit on their role, and maybe even some of the pushback that you received from the some of those leaders.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I really identified who wanted to be a coach and who wanted to be a small group leader. It was like, because you're both going to have a, a group of young people that I want you to invest in their lives. We don't need 11 leaders for 30 kids. You know what I mean? Like, if we launch the thing with five small groups in the new era. Now,
1: now can somebody be both?
0: Uh, back in the day, I'm trying to think. As of right now, can they be both? No, not right now. But that, but we are where we're at now, where we have, you know, whatever. I think back in the day, I think those would be pastoral decisions. I think where I would say, "Hey, you do have the capacity to do both," or it'd be to say, "Hey, you know, let's." Because basically, what it means is is you've got to have your ten in your small group and then probably like another handful on your team. so how do you do life with that many people and that's kind of always been my thing like the more I stretch you out, the less you're able to go deep with a teenager. The whole goal for you is to be the pastor of a teenager like um and a lot of this is like missional mindset for me is like I met my wife in Bible college at a missions banquet right we were going to be missionaries and felt called to pastoral ministry in America, um, eventually, whatever. So I still always looked at that as like, hey, it's my job as the pastor to learn the culture, raise up people who know the culture. Because I'm a Pennsylvania boy who ended up in the deep South of Texas, still trying to figure that out, man. So, uh, and it was just like, hey, what's the role you wanna play? And and that, so I think the best way to answer that is, is don't stretch your leaders. Like, just don't stretch them. Like what I mean by that is like, you should stretch them when it comes to growth. You know what I mean? But like, don't stretch them thin as far as like, Hey, I want you to be a small group leader. Now here's 40 teenagers. Like, cause I'm not good at my job of getting more small group leaders. It's like, dude, you're not doing it. You know what I mean? Like, that's not wise. Um, so allow them to stay deep. And so, um, I, and honestly, I'm not that practical of a guy. Like we do have like methods of operandi and all that sort of stuff, operation modes or whatever, but, like honestly it's just like dude can you like do these simple things and i'm not going to give you like a billion teenagers to help like a billion teenagers to overlook it's just like i don't want anybody to fall through the cracks and the primary way of doing that is having a bunch of people leading the teams and that sort of stuff so um i hope that made sense
1: yeah. So I cut you off here. So dive in talk about that progress going from 30, you know, how do you get their minds to shift from, okay, we're leading everything and we're leading small groups into dividing up into, hey, yeah. some are small group leaders, some are coaches, yeah. and how do you get that, that mentality shift? How do you get them to see that differently? And just kind of some of the, the steps that you took yeah. to kind of move in that direction.
0: You know, I think a lot of it had to do with like, and it was tough. There's absolutely no question it's tough because, you know, we're dealing with people, right? We're dealing with people who, you know, as we grow closer to God and our relationship with God, we start to realize that like we were saying we were serving because of the teenager, but really we just liked all of the the influence that we had been given and and kind of working through that stuff and weeding out some some of that type of mentality or whatever or that success like You know the american culture says independence is your highest goal right to show someone that you are successful Is to say look at what I did right that's independence, right? You know, it's literally like huge in our american culture But biblical culture the way of jesus is interdependence, right? Is that when someone says how did the youth group go from 30 to 450? I'll sit there and tell you it's the 50 leaders that we have on a constant basis. It's a it's a staff that believed in us. It's um, it, it's teenagers who stepped up to the plate and believed in themselves when we told them that we believed in them. It was a move of God's spirit. It was it was so many other people. Like we're so interdependent in this thing. It's not independence. It's not like well I came in here and did it all myself type stuff. Um, so getting them to think interdependence over independence. Um, it's just it's a cultural thing of. What gets celebrated gets replicated to talk about the right things and the stories. And, you know, we do events so that, um, so that we can, um, we're not like, cause a lot of youth ministries become just like event coordinators. You know what I mean? Like you're supposed to be a pastor, but you're really an event coordinator. It's like, <laughs> well what's the next big event that I got to plan. It's just like, when's the last time you went prayed with somebody? You know what I mean? Like when's the last time, like, even though you're prepping a sermon, it's just another event. You know, it's like, no, these are opportunities to grow. These are opportunities to slow down and to um, and to make it and to build that foundation. And there's so a lot of it was just that pastoral vision of just saying, hey, look, the goal here is interdependence. The goal here is not booming growth. I'm not, you know, all that sort of stuff. The goal here is, um, you need to have the moments to go wide and to have the big thing, but you also need to continually be going deep or whatever. So, um, I guess the tangible step in that is to say champion interdependence, champion things that um, have nothing to do with your leadership, but have everything to do with the leaders around you that are what you're trying to like bring out in the culture and be the biggest opponent of that independence, self-oriented success. Be the be the biggest opponent of that, of being like, that. that's not the way we do things around here. Um, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about what we can do together. It's about being the body of Christ. And so, um, and people will quickly, like, if you, I'm a big guy that's just like, uh, I am going to continually be speaking life, speaking life. A huge deal of me is to speak life, speak life. And that's something that you and Kellen, I don't know if you remember this, but like you and Kellen back in the day, it was just like, speak life, believe in a teenager. It was just like, that's so simple. When's the last time a teenager was told that they, we believe in you. You know what I mean? Like, So literally, I will not tell a teenager to be quiet. I I have not said that in in five years. Hey, be quiet. Won't say it. I'll say, hey, I believe you can listen. And I know that's like the tiniest little thing. And I don't even know if you guys meant that back in the day when you told me that. But I'm just like, I will be the person that will believe in people. I believe in you, believe in you, believe in you. And when you are that type of person, and then you are an opponent of something, and you kind of speak up and be like, oh, I don't believe in that. People are like, they like really listen. Like, no, I do not believe in the fact that you were one adult with 30 youth. That's ridiculous. That ain't happening around here. And that's not because I don't think you can't do it. It's because I know that there's going to be somebody who's not going to get the depth that they need around here. And so you got to let me know your numbers are getting big so I can recruit somebody else to be in your team with you and that type of stuff. Or I don't want it to be like, oh, I've been leading worship around here for four years and it's been me the whole time. No, you should be raising up young people Mm -hmm to do what you're doing. And like, so let them know what you're for and let them know what you're not, what you're against and just kind of build that culture. And it takes so much time. Like I love to say, I mean, seven years is seven years. And that is actually pretty quick, honestly, in my opinion, for something like that to go from 30 to 450, that is pretty quick. But like when you read statistics, like um, the average youth pastor is like a year and a half these years, you know what I mean? Like, I've been here for seven years. Like, that's one of those things where I'm like, thank you, God, for allowing the right things to happen in the right way, because that has been able to build that momentum. And it's like, you know, seven years of growth from 30 to 450 is incremental growth. Like, it wasn't like we were 30 the first year and we went to 400. And I've been trying to figure it out ever since. Like, that's been incremental growth over a few years of just like staying passionate, building the culture, and uh, making sure people know what you're for. and let there be a lot of that. So when you do talk about what you're against, they really listen to that. And they're like, ooh, uh, that's not the way we operate.
1: All right. Last question. You're a big college football fan. And roll uh, time, baby. Ee! All right. Well, you're an Alabama fam. Okay. And uh, so I know you're a leadership guy and you love college football, big Alabama fam. So clearly, Nick Saban has uh, demonstrated to be a great leader yes, and uh, has, has done a lot of what you've talked about. We were talking about before we started recording about how he's brought Kiff, Lane Kiffin in, he's brought uh, Saban in, you know, or- uh, Sark. Uh, Sark, right? He's brings these guys in and he develops them, helps them and then releases them. So what leadership principles have you learned that you've seen uh, that you've been able to bring into your own ministry?
0: Oh, Okay. Here's a great story. And whether you're a fan of Alabama or not, like, let's just kind of put that aside because of Jesus, we're a family. So we have that. That's more in common than what we, uh, actually you and I were at a, uh, in Dallas, USC we were. Played a few years ago, we were, we were your boys. And I was like across with uh, one of my guys or whatever.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's not remember that game. Let's yeah. not remember. That was, that was rough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we won't tell them how it ended up, but we all know yeah. how it ended. So, um, but uh, one of my favorite stories, first year, Nick Saban is the coach of Alabama. Um, he They lose to Louisiana Monroe. Yes. We don't know who – I don't even know who that mascot is. Uh, probably the Hilltoppers or something weird. They lose to Louisiana Monroe at home, right? So here we have Nick Saban. This LSU – he won a title at LSU, went to the pros, came to Alabama, the savior of the program, year one. They lose to Louisiana Monroe at home, right? In the press conference afterwards, obviously Saban's famous for just getting wild at press conferences. He gets mad and yells things, all sorts sort of stuff. Um, and he says this line that has stuck with me forever. He says, you're confusing winning with doing things right. And until we do things right, we won't be winning. And so his point was patience, process. We've got to learn how to do things right rather than just try to win at all costs, which in college football, which is notorious for like paying players and like cheating and all that sort of stuff. Like Nick Saban doesn't have to cheat. Like he just literally doesn't have to. And maybe my eyes are glossed over or whatever. But all I'm trying to say is is like, the man is about process. The man is about doing things the right way. And if you have a championship mindset about doing everything the right way, um, when you do things right, winning is an inevitable result. And so instead of focusing on winning, Focus on doing things right. And too many of us are focusing on being the church mega pastor, right? And having this huge influence and whatever. It's just like, no, you're quit focusing on that. Focus on doing things right. Focus on, on discipleship and prayer and being faithful with what God has you in the moment. Like, um, and that that always has just been great for me of like, look, hey, even if a even if we tried a big event or whatever, or we tried something and it failed the process is beneficial to me. The failure is beneficial to me. Um, Cause I'm focused on being faithful, doing things right. Um, I'm not focused on winning a championship. I'm not focused on being this big mega church. I, I'm just focused on doing things right. And so, bro, that's only part one, baby. Come back. That's to good. Two. I will have more Nick Saban knowledge and I will apply <laughs> the gospel and uh,
1: <laughs> do this all night, man. We can do this all night. I know. I know. I know. I know. We got to cut it off though. So good. That that's, um, It's so good. You know, I'm just finishing up Mark Batterson's book, uh, Win the Day, and just so lines up with that. You know what I mean? Like your daily habits Mm -hmm. are what what sets that trajectory for your success. And so, so good, so good. Uh, Jimmy, as we finish up here, any last thoughts, any last words uh, as we we finish up? I would say this huge
0: COVID um, growth point for me um, is this, is kind of lines up with what I just said and maybe a word of encouragement here at the end um, I was confusing um, success with faithfulness um, when our numbers weren't there anymore you know you know because as much as I say my identity wasn't wrapped up in having 450 because I know what it's like to have 30 it was and I think God was using that to prune something out of me or whatever and um, and so for me it's not a, it's not about being a success. It's about being faithful because success isn't a fruit of the spirit. And the goal for us is the fruit of the spirit. How can we be people full of love, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, um, not success, not um, famous, right? Um, and those are like modern day fruits of success or fruits of being meaningful is like being successful and being famous and um, that sort of stuff. And that's just not it in the pastoral world. The pastoral world, is the fruits of the spirit so just, just like a word of encouragement there at the end and that's that's where i'm personally at in my life through COVID is to say the goal of the day today is um to be faithful is to allow the fruit of the spirit to outwork in me today and and that to me is the new um that's success it's not being famous it's not having a bunch of like you know numbers it's was i faithful today so that's kind of my my Ending sermon. That's where I'm at as a pastor right now.
1: Every day, ultra call, man. calm. Calm for. Calm for. Let's go, baby. <laughs> Let's go. Hey, great word, man. Thanks, Jimmy, so much. Uh-